Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Los Angeles-based jazz pianist, composer, and educator, Arturo O'Farrell. We talked to him in early June 2020 during the coronavirus quarantine from his base in LA to talk about his latest recording, Four Questions, featuring the great Dr. Cornell West on the title composition, Four Questions. It was released as the lockdown intensified on April 10, 2020, and this album happens to be the first one in his fame recording catalog to exclusively include all originally written compositions, weaving together empowered messages for the times, specifically now that we need it. Four Questions portrays the pioneering pianist as outspoken as ever on the obligation of artists to speak truth to the great injustices occurring across the globe. Along with this pandemic and racial unrest in America, this is the time to have this material out, and Arturo explains. Enjoy. Joe Domino, Neon Jazz Radio, Kansas City, Missouri. What's up? Hi, Joe. How are you? How's everything? Oh, man. <laughs> this is a weird David Lynch movie we're in, but, you know, oh, my we're... Gosh. <laughs> it's funny you said David Lynch, because I love David Lynch, and I love, love, love National Belt. I love Racerhead and... Some of my favorite stuff in the world. I, I took a chance, man. I, I've been throwing that out for the last month or so, hoping that people feel the same way because I love Lynch. Did, have you heard those weather reports that he does? No. Please oh my God, he does weather reports. Oh my God, dude, you got to check it out. He, what he every day he gets in like this like rustic bunker and his hair's everywhere and he has a cigarette and a cup of coffee and he's like, "Welcome wow. to Los Angeles, California." And he does latitude, longitude. And the temperature, and of course, in L.A., it never changes. So he's just sitting there talking about, you know, the weather. Um, it doesn't really change that much, and he does it every day for, like, a couple minutes every morning. Um, and, oh, that sounds wonderful. Where, where is yeah, it, it, If you just go do David Lynch weather report and Google, it'll pull it up. And I think oh, it goes beautiful. to his website, yeah. So anyway. Um, he's a really interesting person. He seems like a really strange dude anyway, besides the fact that his movies are so brilliant. But I've seen a documentary on him and how he rolls. He is just a deeply creative cat. Like, his brain is just, he eats, sleeps, and breathes creativity in a way that I don't think a lot of people can conceptualize. I wonder if he's a quiet dude. I wonder if in the end of the day he says, because the most, the most creative people I've ever met usually is really quiet, uh, quiet folks. You know, they're just kind of internalized and deep and profound. Like the, sometimes I think I look at people who are doing creative work and I wonder where their brains are at. But, you know, I, I try, I dabble in creative work myself. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think probably they had a contest some years back where you could win um, a trip to L.A. and go to a diner and just sit with them. And I think he's that kind of guy. He's probably introspective probably likes to be at a booth and just kind of let his brain go. He probably doesn't talk that much. Um, I, I can I can definitely see that. But uh, he's a gem for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, Dan, in hey, LA. I'm in L.A. No. right now. So. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I, don't, I think the place that he goes to is like a, I don't know, it's some old diner on Sunset. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's uh, something that, He's done to like raise money um, for his foundation, so he'll you know offer people opportunities, and they buy tickets to, to see if they can raffle and get it there. But um, wow. but at any rate, um, seems to me during COVID nineteen, when I've been kind of taking a temperature of all the phone calls, LA people, West Coast people seem a little bit more relaxed, probably because of the latitude of being able to be near nature and getting in a car, whereas New York, you're a little bit more confined. 
I think I'm picking out a few truth. I think some Los Angeles have been practicing social isolation for decades. <laughs> kind of live <laughs> they, they get in their cars, they go to work, they come back in their cars. I mean, people in downtown LA and walking neighborhoods of which there are some are not as dense as New York, but they do get in each other's in each other's space. New York is nuts. I've lived in New York my whole life, and it's there's no way that you can't uh, live in New York without uh, being continuously in somebody's cough or somebody's hand or somebody's you know. It's just, there's no way that's going to happen. But it's also you know it's also one of the most beautiful things about New York. One of the most beautiful things about New York is you get to a conversation with anybody. <laughs> like yeah. Just, just to moan and complain, <laughs> like the person across, you know, across the subway car from you will go, it's so hot in this car, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my dad was actually born in Brooklyn and raised in Long Island, so I've spent some time up there, and I, I, I was so just always, yeah, and I was just always amazed at how gregarious and open and. And just the way New Yorkers roll is great, man. I, I just I wish I recorded more of the conversations when my uncle was alive. He had a pastry shop, and those boys would get in that back room and weave together bullshit you couldn't even believe. And I was just like, where is my recorder? Because it would have been golden just to hear the – because that was when Joey got a fuco and that whole thing was going on, and they were going – like, yeah, well. yeah, and they were like, I saw but a fuco water in his lawn, and, you know, and they went on and on and on, but – it was, uh, that's, a, it, that's a piece of Americana. A lot of young people don't know who Joey Buttafuoco was. <laughs> the, totally. Lolita, the Lolita, what was her name? The Lolita. Long Island Lolita. <laughs> the Long Island Lolita, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we were, my wife and I were laughing about this because we were trying to tell my son about Joey Buttafuoco and the Long oh my God. Island Lolita. He had no clue what we were talking about. Right. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, well, he's 25. He missed that whole era. Yeah, well, probably good for him. <laughs> you, you know, I almost wish there were certain areas that I, I didn't remember, but that's age, man. You start talking to kids about things you hope they know, and it's like sometimes the light bulb just doesn't go off. So um, Yeah, I make, ref- I make references all the time. Now. I'm a yellow band and just look at me like I'm from <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I dig it totally. Um, well, I know that we have we have a window here, and I really kind of want to just focus. A l- I want to focus on your new album, obviously, but kind of in the context of this COVID nineteen world. And prior to getting into four questions, you know, when this COVID nineteen thing started in early to mid March, it was kind of like the airplane going into the towers. It's a big moment for all of us. Everything stopped. Everything changed. What happened? What was your personal narrative? Like, when did you know, all right, the jazz is going to be silent? Well, you know, I've been uh, teaching at UCLA part of the year. So I was in Los Angeles. I've been there for about two weeks. And um, I guess around March 10th uh, was my last class. And I was supposed to play the University of uh, San Diego, UC San Diego, Big, huge show with uh, a cast of thousands and a film premiere and a panel discussion. And uh, musicians in my band started calling me up and saying, hey, man, it's really, really tricky to cancel flights. People are getting sick. I'm not sure I'm going to go. I got a call from my son. He was in Madrid. Couldn't get out of Madrid. I had to 
explosion in the airfare. And uh, by the 14th, by the 14th, everything, everything, literally everything for the next month, two months, three months was canceled. All my booking, I had a um, premiere at the Columbia Theater, at the, the Miller Theater in Columbia University. And I, I mean, a ton of work just disappeared. So my first response, quite frankly, was, I'm lucky I have a, a, a position as a major teaching institution. I'm not... But my first reaction was, oh, my God, what are my musicians going to do? Because some of them are, they're all mostly freelancers. And they teach some of them, but really, the, 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 the idea of their uh, livelihood disappearing entirely filled me with terror, as it does both my sons are musicians. And so, honestly, the very first thing I did was uh, started a fund. I... Uh, dug into my pocket and I created something called the Afrobat and Jazz Alliance Emergency Artists Fund. And uh and we started and we watched you know, we, we asked for other funders to help us and we watched that fund uh come in and out. We raised uh over forty thousand dollars to be given out to freelance musicians, uh singers, dancers, artists, people who are completely dependent on freelance artistic work to make a living. And uh, we just raised our goal to 100000 But the need is great. i got to tell you, I look over the application, and they are master, master musicians, people who you wouldn't even guess that uh, are really hurt, that depend on getting on airplanes and going to other places to make a living. So we, I, I, that was my first, my first thought, was to help people pay their bills. My second thought was to somehow find a way to create a normalcy. So the very first, literally the first week of, 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 the, of the shutdown, we started uh, what, I, what is called virtual Birdland. I've been playing at Birdland in New York City for 25 years. And uh, so we recreated that game. I called up the club owner and said, can we do a virtual Birdland? And he said, sure. And we got the band, we get the band together every week, along with the club owner, myself, and we make a set. And for, so literally, every week for the past, now going on our eighth week, we've had a gig at Birdland. And it's, it's been seen by thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Um, the, the pandemic was obviously the first of the list of things that, that really ail our society. But um, it's scary and depressing, and it's scary to watch what it does to young people and to what it does to young lives. Um, you know, as we were saying earlier, I'm not a kid. Um, but, but when you're 20, 21, 25, uh, and you watch your whole entire understanding of life uh, disappear, that's very, that really messes up your mind. So I, my heart really goes out to them, and in that sense, I've also been helping my musicians, by, I'm on board of directors of the clinic, and so I encourage them to get to, to seek help because some people, uh, you know, don't understand depression and heartache and don't deal as well with it as others. And um, so that's kind of been my mindset about the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we're kind of, I think, at a crossroads of, of a lot of things right now, and I think that part of what's going on right now 
obviously is race related, but I think it's all also class related. I think we're at a point now where people have been out of jobs and despondent. There's nothing left to lose. There's no concert, baseball game, basketball game to divert anything. And it's like, it's on. And I think there's a precipice that's akin to the sixties where things need to change. And this has been ongoing and we've always gotten diverted from things that have happened. But I think we're really of everything that's going on as scary as it is. We really have a chance to have a real win for humanity right now. Well, I think, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it dawns on people that 500, well, that didn't dawn on people, but it, it's dawning on us now that uh, $500 billion in uh, in subsidies were handed out to corporations, uh, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of subsidies. I think the last figures I read were truly alarming. Something like 97% of the government aid went to the 1% corporations and individuals. And uh, and so we're talking about looting. <laughs> we're talking yeah. about people looting. And the looters are, are, have, have, aren't on the street. Looters are in government and Wall Street. And uh, it's frightening. It's, it's, it's incredibly frightening to see uh, how, many, how the pandemic reveals what a skin veneer we have in this nation about the the the, the, the equality. Of, of yeah. you know. You're right. You're totally right. Um, well, I have one more question for you related to four questions. And sure. I want to know, it's got to be bittersweet to, and, and, and you're doing so much. I mean, I, and, and, and that, that's, that's wonderful that you've created this fund for all these cats and, and you have empathy in your heart's big. That's just enormous. And my question is, is it bittersweet right now to have an album come out during a pandemic? People can listen to it. You probably have more latitude along those lines, but you're not going to be able to back it up live. Have you thought about that? Well, I used to think like that. I used to watch downbeat articles and polls and I used to, I love performing and I will do that for the rest of my days. But in terms of what an artist does and why I do what I do, I don't do what I do uh, just to perform. It's a, a beautiful, 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 beautiful result of creating music. But I really, I mean, I know this kind of weird, but just creating music is fascinating. Very difficult, very labor intensive, mind and emotionally draining things to do, but um, I, I have to tell you that um, that album was so beautiful to make with Cornell West and the choir and the orchestra and, and, and I, I, those are things that will live with me forever. Whether it comes out in the pandemic or it comes out to uh, you know, albums are funny things. Sometimes people embrace them, sometimes people don't. But you did it. You put it forth. You put your statement into the world. And um, I don't feel bittersweet. I thought a lot about this too. I don't feel bittersweet that it came out this time. I'm actually grateful that it came out during these uh, very extraordinary, extraordinarily charged racial uh, protests because the voice of Dr. West is obviously, and the the, the, the piece is about W.E.B. the voice is so souls of black folk and the questions that we've been asking apparently for hundreds of years. 
how how do we deal with injustice? How do we deal with oppression? How do we deal with uh, insult? Um, and so, in a way, this album came out in the pandemic, and that might uh, work against being performed. But it should, but the work itself could have come out in a timelier, the timelier way. So I, I'm very proud of that. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful, man. Arthur, I think we 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 went right up to the door of what what we were allotted to. Hey, thanks for taking some minutes. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. By the way, I live in Brooklyn, so we're fellow Brooklynites. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Los Angeles, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Arturo for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.